0: Hey, Mike, today is our final episode of season five of Haven's podcast, Measure Twice, Cut Once. I can't believe that's a wrap already for season five.
1: Oh, Jennifer Lee, it's always great to be here. And they they go by so fast. We have so much fun doing it. And this is going to be a really exciting way to cap it off. This season, we've discussed a ton of amazing building trends, like really mapping out the future of this industry. Talking with builders from a wide spectrum across the industry, including single family homes stratifying lots to duplexes, net zero townhomes, infill projects, and building with steel.
0: And don't forget the house with electrochromatic windows like the ones found in the new Boeing planes.
1: Absolutely. It's been truly an amazing season. And today's guest is the perfect guest to wrap up such a power pack season. We have so much to talk about. So let's bring him on.
0: Oh, I'm so excited to interview this guy. I feel like he's Haven famous. His uh, name is Sean St. Amore from Clay Construction and everyone talks about how lovely he is and I finally got to meet him and he, of course he's Passive House famous as well. We're thrilled to have you come today and like I said, I've just been wanting to talk to you for a long time, so I'm kind of fangirling at the moment.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Again, it's a real honor to be here to talk to you guys again to wrap up your fifth season and uh, again, appreciate all the podcasts and and audio that you're putting out there to educate our, our community, which is great.
1: Sean, so glad you could join us. We've known each other for a while and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you today. For those of you who don't know Sean, Sean is known both locally and arguably across North American markets as a knowledgeable passive house guru of sorts. Basically, let's talk about your background because we really have to set the table to have this conversation where you are coming from. You are a little bit younger than some of the other folks who have joined us. And it's kind of shocking when you see someone you go, how does that guy have so much experience? And we're going to cover that in a few minutes. You've covered so much ground in all these years in the industry. Can you walk us through your story a little bit? How did you get involved in Passive House? Where did you get your passion for the Passive House movement? And maybe a little about your current relationship with our friends at Clay Construction. Yeah, absolutely. So we go back to a time where
2: I got into prefabrication of homes. So I was working at a company called Vice Homes that was building 6 to 12 houses per day and shipping them off to Japan. And I got an opportunity to travel to Europe. And see not only the high performance standard that they had for prefabrication, but also just the high standard of just building better with natural materials. And so, kind of kept going back to Europe. And uh, in 2011, it brought my dad over, who was my business partner with my company at the time. And um, we actually saw a passive house. And uh, and so we're like, okay, we better be working on prefab and passive house. We then uh, came back in 2014. I took the first, my first. Passive House course. Um, and again, you talk about some of the leaders in the industry. That was a, a packed class of, of leaders that, that we get to uh, connect with. And then in 2017, I went all in. I started with the Passive House Tradesperson course, and then I just went around to every single conference around the world to learn about Passive House. And then from there, because I took a course at BCIT, I asked, hey, can I potentially teach? And within you know months later, I was uh, one of their instructors, and and after that, just been feeding on more information of passive house, and just um, just a sponge to it all. And uh, and still to this day, I probably spend more hours learning about passive house than most people, just because I just love it. It's it's one of those standards where. It is the highest standard you can achieve. And once you're there, then you know that you're going to build a comfortable, healthy, energy efficient house that's going to have no bugs and no dust and be quality from a sound standpoint. Like there's just so much great attributes about building a passive house that I want everyone to have one. And so now it's a question of how can I teach people and inspire people to uh, to have a resilient prefab. Passive house.
0: I just love your passion about it because when we talk to people about passive house, I, I realize it's something that we're starting to have to do and even net zero homes and everything, and especially with step code. But I just love the fact that you're so into it. It's not just something that we have to do. It's something that you really believe in wholly. And I think that is so great. How did you end up going from your knowledge of passive homes and taking that with you to joining up with Clay Construction?
2: I had a company with my dad and we were looking at building our first passive house and um, kind of in that spot where I had a property with another architect friend and we were trying to you know, get everything aligned with our families to, to do a duplex. And um, he was so busy being, in designing, sorry, being an architect and designing big Passive House projects that he ran out of time for us. And so a couple of years passed, and uh, I was kind of trying to figure out what to do with my career and where to move our company. And, you know, we wanted to walk the talk and build our first Passive House. And uh, sometimes, you know, things happen on a Friday. I got a call from 475, and they wanted me to join their team to help educate more people about Passive House across uh, Canada. And so I joined their team. And, uh, and so that whole journey of continually educating, and then uh, Larry called me one day too and said, hey, you know, would you like to join our team because we want to build to that standard and, you know, you seem to be very knowledgeable in this area and we want you to be part of the team and it seemed like a great fit. I always tell my kids that, uh, you know, I love Lego and so I might as well just keep building Lego except in Vancouver, it's like million dollars of Lego kits. But I was really inspired to, to, to not only, you know, continue to teach people how to build passive house, but Get into the trenches, and when I was working with Four Seven Five, some of the concerns I had is like, "Oh, you're just a sales guy," and I was like, "No, I'm a product consultant. Like, I want to teach people." And being a builder and being in the trenches, you definitely get a bit more respect in the industry. And I wanted to figure out some of the bottlenecks that the industry has um, about moving it forward. Um, the step code was implemented, and had a you know about a twelve year you know lead time for it to get to the last stage. And I'm like, we should be building passive houses or to the highest standard now, and what is some of the issues we're facing. And so I decided to get into the trenches and work with Larry and, and build uh, you know, high performance homes and, uh, and work through some of the issues that we're you know, facing as an industry.
0: So there's always so much talk about net zero and passive house, and I never know what one is right or if one is better than another, or if they're the same.
2: So you can get to net zero by literally building a coat house and slapping as many solar panels on the roof as possible or in the yard or whatever size it takes to get you to net zero, which means that the energy that the house is consuming is an offset by renewable energy. That is one way of getting there. I prefer because a lot of times in our cities, we don't have a lot of roof area and the actual embodied carbon of a solar panel is actually... Um, number two behind concrete, when we're looking at material choices. So I would rather use the Passivhaus principles to get to net zero. Not only are you going to enjoy you know, the benefits of a Passivhaus, the comfort, the energy efficiency, the, the you know, healthy home, um, but you also have a, an opportunity to use materials that can create a 200 plus year old home. Because you're doing an envelope first approach. And so when clients ask us, how do we, you know, what pathway do we want to choose to get to net zero, we will use the passives principles to get there. And even if you don't get um, your passive house certified, or if you maybe you don't get to being, you know, hundred percent of a passive house, the methodology towards net zero is what I recommend to everyone is use the five passives principles and and work towards uh, envelope first. And enjoy the benefits of net zero because once you're net zero ready with the past those principles, find your renewable energy, slap it on the roof, slap it on wherever you can, and then, then be, you know, enjoy being off grid. And
0: the other thing that comes up with this, because I know everyone's like, oh, net zero, passive home. It just seems like, kind of like, I hate using the word money grab, because I know yep. that's not what it is. But I think as a consumer, everyone's like, oh, now we got to go through this hurdle again now. We got to hit this step code that I don't fully understand, and and what is that going to cost? So what are the costs of these homes? Is that going to, obviously, I feel like it's probably be more beneficial down the line. Like, maybe you won't see the cost savings at the moment, but I think... You might have sticker shock at first, but it might be getting better down the
2: road. Yeah, right now the industry is facing what Gord Cook calls the dumb tax. It's the education process of our industry to scale so that we all have the knowledge to do it effectively. And so in, in a sense, like I've gone through the dumb tax personally by investing in it and going to do it. But I kind of was passionate and loved it. So to me, it wasn't wasn't a hard thing to sell me on because I just knew by learning this one it definitely was going to put me ahead of the curve but it also I knew that you know that's the way we should be building and seeing the European way of of it all was okay like they're already ahead of us doing it we just need to get on board and, and get on it so the the big sticker price that everyone looks at is okay what is the cost and right now once you're able to get through the dumb tax of learning through the practices of creating an airtight building and making sure you've got the right insulation on your walls and the right um, you know methodology to your process typically we say that it costs 2% more to your build and and that's going to be 2% more to the construction cost which to the homeowner means that their mortgage is going to be higher but at the end of the day when I give them the keys to their house their energy bill is going to be that much lower so that by the end of the month money going out the door is going to be zero so now we're saying that we can build a passive house at zero extra cost because of the money going out the door. So to the homeowner, that's the, always the cost conversation is, is, is at it's zero. But to the builder, it is more because you're adding better windows, more of a sweater, so more insulation. And um, again, making sure that all of your systems are in place to ensure that you have that fresh air machine working and it's balanced.
0: I love that idea, the dumb tax, and I think that could apply to many industries because I think that's the thing is a lot of us want to see a cheaper cost up front for anything that we purchase, but we don't think about the longevity either or the potential savings like you could go out and buy anything cheap right now a really cheap car a cheap pair of pants but like how long are those going to last us like we always want to see the cheap price up front but we never think about the long term price or the health benefits yeah. as well like i know passive net zero have way more health benefits than your traditional uh, stick
2: building home i used to tell people that you know that we're really good at building cabins with really nice kitchens and baths because when you look at how we would build a cabin and how we would build you know kind of like i say a step code 1 home there's not much difference but yet now when you're building to the step five or passive house standard, you're kind of creating like a hospital room where it's got filtered fresh air, it's um, quiet, um, it feels nice. You can go up, walk up to the window or be in the middle of a room and you have the same temperature. I mean, what's really interesting about you know passive houses from that whole health aspect is just you learn about um, you know filter fresh air and what that's like um, you learn about indoor toxins that can affect your health and you know long-term of things that we didn't know about um, you know some of the issues in the 80s with asthma well we all know that's about poor construction of our homes not letting our homes dry dry out and so once you start to kind of dive into the nitty-gritty you're like wow this just makes sense and at the end of the day it's based on building science and there's data to prove things. And so people can't say, hey, you know, passive houses are bad. Well, they could be you know expensive, you don't know how to build them. But the benefits from a scientific standpoint just outweigh um, all of the, you know, kind of critics. And so it's like, okay, hey, let's just do this. It just makes sense. It's based on building science. It's not really rocket science. And we can, you know, all together get there if we, uh, you know, kind of learn from each other. And one thing that's been nice about the Passivhaus community is just how collaborative it is. We know that this is the method that we're all going to be moving towards. So why don't we share and communicate and teach each other how to get there faster. Um, and so that kind of European kind of business approach, um, has created just an amazing community and I'm really lucky to be involved in it here in Vancouver, but with Passivhaus Canada and with the Passivhaus Accelerator and, and just even the international Passivhaus community. I mean, it's, it's great how during COVID we, we've come together and, you know, we've created, uh, Um, Other events we're, uh, again, we're continually sharing. And so it's just, it's really great to be in a community That is wanting to build better. So you have a method to get there. And then we're learning and sharing together.
0: And I love the fact that we're taking time to think about the materials we put in, because I always think about it as a kid, we had a basic suite and well, not basically it was a crawl space, but my brother and I would play down there. My dad's like, don't touch that like pinky insulation. It's bad for you. But then I I think about it now and I'm like, if it's bad for us to touch it, why would we put it in our wall? Because isn't that like not great for like our overall health?
2: Yeah, no, the... The last kind of, say, five years for me from a learning curve, it's been quite interesting because I dove into passive house, which is looking at the operating carbon of our home. So how, you know, the energy required to make, you know, homes heat and cool and, and have nice hot water. But the other aspect that's kind of been trending as well is the embodied carbon. And now um, when you look at, say, achieving net zero, there's kind of like this great little equation that we use is you work on the envelope first using the PASOL's principles. Then you look at the carbon footprint of your materials, so the embodied carbon um, or the upfront carbon, depending on the term you want to use. Then looking about making your homes electrified and then adding the, you know, the renewable energy so the solar panels and that gets you to that net zero aspect so it's it's great when you're trying to achieve something that there's a nice roadmap to kind of help guide you there and the You know, the envelope first approach matters to builders because when you're looking at the step code or passive, it's like, okay, well, as a builder, what can I do? Because I don't quite understand it. And and how do I play a part in it? Well, we know that the designers, the architects will manage, you know, the glazing area and the types of windows. They'll look at how much insulation can kind of fit depending on the zoning issues. Well, the builder really helps kind of drive the, kind of the system because of air tightness. If you can get to that, um, passive level air tightness or step step five, and so just to kind of clarify, is step five gets to one air change, and uh, and and passive is point six, and so that's that higher level where when you go from current homes, you could get ninety percent more energy efficient building, and so now we're at step three as of uh, May first, and so going from even. 2.5 to 1 means about 40, 60% of energy improvements just by making sure your envelope is gift wrap. And I always tell my clients, like, now that we're working on these lower levels of air tightness, we're gift wrapping your home and, you know, I'm going to put a bow on it when I turn over their homes so they
1: can really enjoy this, you know, nice present that, uh, that we're working towards. One of the things you hear talking to builders and talking to consumers as well as the misconception that these are more expensive homes and you somewhat addressed that. In your head, is there sort of an amortization period? So if I build one of these homes, what would be my amortization period based on current electrical rates? Because we know that's going to yeah. go up as well significantly. So if you are an experienced passivist
2: builder, that amortization is going to be one month. Typically, when I give you the key and you're getting it back, you're making the difference back. Because like I said earlier, you're uh, mortgage is going to be higher, but your energy bills are lower. So at the end of the month, you're paying the same amount of money. Now, if you haven't built a passive house and you have to, need to deal with a little bit of that dumb tax, there could be up to six to ten percent more that the build costs could occur because you're trying to learn, you know, your method and process. And that's the issue right now is we've got this runway for the step code to be implemented so that the construction industry can learn to ensure that they know how to get there uh the right way um and that's where you know i i was kind of tease the step code committee by being like you know what i'm only going to learn one step i'm learning step five because i don't want to learn five steps i just want to learn one step and get past you know that dumb curve and that's where um, when i was teaching builders is just learn how to get to one air change if you don't get there you're still going to be ahead of the limit that the municipality is going to require you on. But if as you're getting towards one, you're, you're going to be able to future-proof your home. You're going to be able to tell your clients that, hey, giving you a house that is nine years ahead of the current code. And you get to enjoy all the benefits of it now.
1: So in your travels, you're obviously working with a very accomplished builder right now who's very comfortable and adept in this space. But we're dealing with an industry that's catching up. We are somewhat backfilling to where yeah. some of you guys already are. What are some of the challenges you're facing across a more broad spectrum of the building industry and how are some of of the ways that we can scale it, both as homeowners and consumers as well as professionals in this industry? One thing that we're lucky is some of the European products have now
2: been really available in North America. The mechanical is... The I'd say biggest hurdle that we need to get through of trying to understand how we can incorporate heat pumps, um, the benefits of the HRV, the fresh air machine, in our homes to ensure that they're properly balanced. Um, and I I also think there's you know, maybe a bit of a you know a cultural thing too is is at Clay we don't call subcontractors subs anymore we call them specialists. And so by changing the language we use the way that we talk about how we build is the way that we're going to communicate the message that we're trying to do about building, you know, buildings better, more rapidly is we need to change our language. So I think right now the, the you know, the language of how we discuss high performance homes um, and even like right now we're having uh, you a know, discussion of like net zero passive house. Well, you know, what's the difference between the two of them? Well, again, they're different kind of terms in industry that different organizations have kind of, you know, grabbed upon. And it's unfortunate, like passive house as much as I love it, is not a great marketing term. But in Germany, it makes sense. When you convert it to English, um, it doesn't. And so you know, you're trying to figure out how do you sell or how do you market a high performance home, um, a home that has the benefits of being comfortable, healthy, resilient, energy efficiency, having no dust, no bugs. Um, you know, it's tough to try to figure out a you know, brand name that can work across the industry so that people are motivated to, to build that higher performance or higher standard. Hopefully one day it's just become standard and it's a house, but for now we're working on it. So by 2032, that's where, you know, in a sense, the passive house community um, will be out of work because they're just building passive houses, you know? So we're going to be looking at how do we, you know, do, do different things. And that's why, you know, with the kind of learning curve that I've gone through in five years of understanding about operating carbon and embodied carbon and electrification and... Uh, renewable energy sources um, it's been intriguing to try to figure out what is the metric of how do you build to those higher performances when you know our good friend Steve Kemp talks about you know there's 1.4 million decisions to make when you build a house and yet you end up with 80 products well how do you guide your clients um, and the construction industry
1: to get there as fast as you can it's you know it's a challenge Do you think some of the stigma around the building community is changing as we sort of move to higher technical proficiency? Yeah, um, I mean, I think as individuals, as humans, I mean, it's difficult to
2: change. And so you have an industry that when you look at the metrics of of evolution, um, construction industry, I think, is like negative 1.7 on like the Kingsley report about, you know, we actually are decreasing our inefficiency, which is kind of a tongue twister to say and to kind of like think about it. Whereas technology and some of the other um, you know industries, they've scaled like 1,700%. And yet in construction, we're actually doing things slower and more inefficient. And, uh, you know, people talk about like a labor shortage. No, we have a production shortage issue. We just need to figure out how to build more effectively, more efficiently, so that we can all enjoy the benefits of, of high performance home.
1: One of our previous guests, Brian Baumler, uh, talked about the changing language of the industry, sort of changing to meet the industry's changes itself. Can you yeah. talk a little about that?
2: Yeah, no, I agree with it completely because, you know, we all have the ability to build better. I mean, as humans, you know, we want to do, we want to build well, We want to do good things. We wanna create um, you know better environment for in better cultures for ourselves and so you know by you know trying to use different language to like when you look at the passive of those principles for example like when I talked about it's um, more insulation better windows better uh, more air tightness uh, installing a you know an HRV and then thermal bridging which people are like what's a thermal bridge so even taking those five principles that are pretty scientific and try to break them down where it's, oh, we're gonna gift wrap your homes. You're gonna put a sweater on your home. Like, I mean, people love the story too, is when you grew up and you got cold, and you said, hey, mom and dad, turn on the heat, and like, no, put on a sweater. Well, okay, so let's just do that to our homes. Um, you know, windows are an interesting thing because for the most of the time, they've been the you know biggest leakers of, of our homes, but yet we need daylighting, we need the, the glazing system to ensure we have a connection to outside. So, you know, the windows play a very important role for our comfort levels and yet when you look at it not just as a window but as a you know a connection point um, how can we easily make those um, you know that particular product better so that we can enjoy uh, you know our connection to the outdoors because now you know we're indoors for 80% of the time and and a lot of times we're in bad buildings buildings that are unhealthy buildings that are affecting our comfort level um, because of not enough lighting or not enough uh, fresh air or just um, like even Now I have an indoor air quality monitor in my office and it is crazy when I close the door and the CO2 levels get high and I start yawning. I'm like, oh, it's time for coffee. No, I've just killed all the oxygen in the room. So I need to open a window and to realizing that that small change of creating a, you know, a change in the environment by opening a door, opening a window to get fresh air and can change my productivity. I didn't know this stuff like five years ago, and as you start to like learn about the passive house world, you just understand about all these little things that the industry is um, learning about and, and trying to educate so that we can you know have better buildings because we're creating environments that we're spending more time indoors.
0: It's so funny that you say all that because I remember growing up, and my mom would always be like, "Make sure you open a window when you go to bed so you don't feel gross the next yeah. morning and uh, I'm like, well, if we're thinking about that. That means we're not living in good homes. And now with Passive House and stuff, you don't need to crack open a window necessarily because yeah. they're, they're, quality is so much better. But like I live in a 1912 building and I don't open it that much because it's been like super cold. But man, I, I, I feel my nose the next morning and everything yeah. you're like, okay, I've been sleeping with all the dust.
2: And that's what's so important about having a fresh air machine. I mean, people call it an HRV. It's a heat recovery ventilator. I mean, that's a pretty nerdy engineering phrase for something that is so important to living in a, a closed building. And people are like, oh, well, homes need to, to breathe. Absolutely, they do through a fresh air machine. The fact that our current homes breathe through walls that have contaminants in that, that's not healthy for us. So if they're gift wrapped nicely, wrapped in a nice sweater, um, and they have the fresh air machine that is, in a sense, bringing in fresh air from the outside, filtering it so that it actually warms up, so you're getting warmer air coming through, and you're getting the, change, the you know process every three hours. It means like every three hours, your house is getting fresh air in. Most homes that are built in 1912 change it every like four to six hours, but it's through all the walls. Um, in our kind of mid eighties to 2000, you know, the, um, homes, if they don't have a fresh air machine or running a fan, it takes up to two days. So just think of all the mold and mildew being built up in your showers or kitchens because of all that excess moisture that's not being removed.
1: So like now that we- Just to particulate when you're cooking and and that smoke is going through your house, there are so many things that impact indoor air quality. And what's great is not just in the passive or net zero space but in the whole industry starting this paradigmatic shift towards talking about the air we breathe and not just the walls around us yep. when we live. So this is a great first step. And I really like to think about you're doing and what the rest of the community is doing as no different than the first person who bought a CD player. Yep. They are an early adopter. They're paying a little bit of a premium to get an ex- really neat experience. And eventually everything else will catch up. But before they do, we do need to take us light, short, break and has been an incredibly insightful conversation. And your take on building a step code five, net zero and passive house and how we should approach budgets and even how to challenge the process to build better is intriguing. And I want to talk a lot more because this is such a deep dive, but such a relevant conversation to all of us. So we want to talk a little bit more about consumer choice and the challenges we face when we're building to these higher levels. However, like I said, we do need to take a quick break to thank our awesome podcast partners.
0: Measure Twice Cut Once is grateful to our podcast partners, Fortis BC, Vico Stone Canada, Inc., and Trail Appliances. Support from our partners helps us share expert knowledge and resources with families looking to build, design, and renovate the home right for you. Vico Stone Canada's showroom and warehouse are located on Broadway Street in Port Coquitlam specializing in the manufacturing and distribution of superior quality engineered quartz slabs for all residential and commercial countertop requirements. Trail Appliances makes everyday life better with the best selection in Western Canada, hassle-free delivery, and a price match guarantee, so you'll always get the best deal. Trail Appliances make sure you'll love buying an appliance as much as you'll love using it. And we all need reliable and efficient equipment for better comfort, health, and safety of our homes. Whether you want to adopt some energy-saving habits or take on a major energy efficiency upgrade, no matter what your budget, FortisBC can help you save energy and money. Be sure to visit fordisbccom rebates, where you can also find amazing tips on low and no-cost ways to save energy plus buying advice for energy-efficient products. Competition alert, listen and like this episode for your chance to win a Napoleon Prestige P500 Stainless Steel Natural Gas Barbecue, valued at $1,649. Couple bits of our podcast partner, FortisBC. Details at haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. Now, let's get back to our guests.
1: All right, welcome back, Sean. I want to have a little chat with you about something that's an interesting conversation and it's an important conversation. And that is the, the choices we as homeowners or consumers have. So let me give you an example. I'm starting to plan the house I want to build. I definitely want gas from my stove. I want a smart cooktop from our friends at Trail Appliances. I want the gorgeous countertops from Vico Stone. I want all of that in my kitchen. But I also know that if I say put gas in my kitchen, that comes with a price of the output of that house. How do I balance things like my nice gas stove that I want to put in my new home with the uh, methodology and the goals of net zero passive building?
2: We're definitely seeing a trend in passive houses where you know we're electrifying um, the units, and so we're seeing people cooking with induction stoves and moving towards that um, that methodology, and so. You know, people have concerns about, you know, the cooking, but now we're having um, chefs come to play and saying, hey, we can still have these fine, beautiful meals on this type of, uh, you know, stove. My view of it is, again, you're looking at uh, this airtight home and now you're filling it with uh, particulates. And uh, and so I prefer to keep, you know, the gas out um, because of just the indoor air quality items.
0: I always think about the microwave as well, and and that's a big one. And now they have um, induction microwaves, which are so much nicer. I want one because I'm always thinking, I'm like, what are we doing? to our health and again these are the things that we don't think about when we're building a home or renovating a home it's just like we want all the fancy stuff inside which is great but we don't think about like how is it actually affecting our everyday life i think a lot of the times we think of a new home or a new renovation as just an aesthetic purchase yep. we don't actually think of it as a livable
2: purchase yeah and even just coming back to like trends, like we'll probably see in five to ten years that we're going to move away from induction and go back to electric stoves because you know the, the Europeans are also looking at EMF and and kind of like that um, tin foil in your head cone head approach to kind of things. Well, there are some research that indicates that induction is is not that great, but it's a question of like how do we keep improving so that we're using you know the good, better, best scenario and trying to improve our homes and using better methodologies to to enjoy the comforts of indoor living
1: and i think there's some technology that helps us as well so as an example if i do end up putting a gas cooktop in i can get a smart hood fan that goes on top of it automatically turns on to help manage that air quality as well so we definitely have a lot of choices as consumers as you do as a builder in terms of what you recommend to us as well um, how do those choices impact our budget?
2: So, with the stove, for example, is if you still want to have a gas stove in a passive house, which you can do, and even you can still have a gas fireplace. Um, when it comes to the the cooktop, though, is you're going to have to install a makeup air unit because that fan, that or so the hood fan, when it gets turned on, will pretty much ensure that you can't exit the building because there's no air to pull through the walls. And so all of a sudden you go to open up your door and you can't because it's literally sucked it, um, all the air in. That's so it's terrifying. <laughs> yes. Well, that's where, so again, you have to put in the makeup air unit to make sure that as you're sucking the air out and exhausting, you know, the toxins from your stove, that you're dumping air back into the house to make sure that it's balanced. So again, there's, we do know that if you want to have that choice how to ensure that your home is comfortable while you're cooking. And uh, because I'm sure some people want to like run off to the barbecue and you've got stuff cooking on the stove and the barbecue and you can't get out. So that's, again, is understanding the systems and how they all work together. Um, And even with the fireplace, people were cave people. We love a fireplace. Yet when you're in a passive house, that fireplace will overheat your home in seconds. And so you can have a fireplace, but you're going to have to open up the window. And, uh, and again, we've done some passive houses within my community in Brooklyn, and, and uh, we're, we're pretty adamant about it. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, that client's like, yeah, I turn on my fireplace because I enjoy that ambiance that fireplace gives us. But I open up a window. Um, a lot of passive homes will put uh, a fireplace outside so that you have these beautiful, high-performance, you know, triple-pane windows in the living room and kitchen that you can see r- the fire right outside the space but it's a fireplace, you know, in an outdoor living or or sitting area outside. So yeah, we've gone through these uh, decisions and and opportunities and and given people choices saying, if you do want this, here's, you know, here's how you can enjoy it.
0: I think you just say it's the power of choice because I think a lot of times when we hear things like passive house or net zero home, we just feel like it's a one size fit all. And nobody actually says like, oh, you can have your choice. I think Again, going back to your earlier conversation of changing the names of these things, I think making them a more commonplace uh, practice, like Mike was saying, is going to help because I think a lot of times people just don't realize that it's a standard. It doesn't mean that you can't have everything you want. It's just working with the right team and the people that are qualified to guide you in the right choices that are going to work for that particular building or that particular code.
2: Yeah, and like you talk about even walled uh, decisions, like, you know, there's four different type of walls you could build to get to passive house. Pick your methodology. Um, But again, work on your metrics so that you can build um, a resilient prefab. And and I include prefab because I think we're moving towards prefabrication to to help, you know, get things built faster and better um, towards passive house. And I will always talk about that getting to that, um, type of home needs to be affordable we need to be working on how to get this to the masses and that's not just a luxury item um, right now we've been able to get through you know the dumb tax by kind of like the Tesla model uh, the Roadster clients where they were invested in this technology they had the money they've they built their passive homes that or you know mansions that would not be maybe the ideal candidates for a passive house but it's helped the industry learn how to get there and so that we can kind of get like the model 3 out to everybody so when, we, when I talk to people about a passive house, it's not just for you know, the rich, it's for everybody. And we have been working on how to get there um, affordably, even though, again, Vancouver... Every home is, is an expensive item. It's a luxury item. But by working through clients' budgets, um, we can get there so that people can enjoy the benefits of a comfortable, healthy, energy-efficient home.
1: Yeah, I think in about the five or so years I've been involved in this industry, it's gone from being an expensive unicorn that people sort of talked about in an esoteric sense yeah. to slowly transitioning to commonplace, which is really, really exciting. There are some barriers Obviously. And when we're talking about in our previous conversation, we're talking about potentially moving to all electric in the future. What are some of the barriers that are faced to moving to an electric only home? Because that's obviously going to change a lot of things in the home, not just how we're running it.
2: Yeah. So the the, kind of the running port is is kind of the big portion. So it's looking at our mechanical systems. Um, So passive house, the reason that you're reducing the cost of operating it, through, you know, the amount of energy it needs is reducing the demand on heating and cooling. So typically, you're either heating your home with electric baseboards or a, a gas furnace. And we're seeing a trend to moving to heat pumps. And the nerdy part of that kind of trend is is the kind of output of energy. When you would use say, a baseboard heater or furnace, one input of, of energy gives you you know one output of of heat where um heat pumps give you a one to three ratio if you're getting a more you know energy efficient heat pump but the nice thing about a heat pump is it's got this two-in-one system you're getting heating and you're getting cooling so it's not like you need to have a baseboard heater and a furnace as well as an air conditioning unit you're getting it all in one and when the majority of the year your your home is at that comfortable level we all like between nine, sorry, 19 and, and 22 degrees in our home. Well, for most of the year, that envelope first approach is keeping that temperature consistent in your home. And so you don't need to have it, um, you know, heating or cooling or accelerated to to kind of manage your, your home every day. You're getting this c- consistent, balanced, um, comfort feeling. And I said earlier, when you're right beside the window or you're in the middle of the room, your toes and your head or at that same temperature. And humans feel discomfort at about a two degree difference between your core and your toes. And so if you're able to create an environment that is well-balanced, then you don't have to worry about, um, you know, having to put on, you know, a sweater every few minutes or putting on your slippers. You can kind of, you know, run around in your shirts and be happy. And you don't have to worry about the, the different temperatures, especially where in Vancouver, where we have a lot of, you know, two to three-story homes. You know, the upper floors on a, a summer day are usually too hot and in our you know, heat domes, you can't even sleep up there, you have to sleep in the basements. Where in a high performance home, you know, you've got, um, you know, temperature that is comfortable throughout the spaces. So the first one is seeing the trend and change from our heating and cooling systems to a heat pump. Um, And there's lots of conversations, you know, of like, is it now an air to source or an air to air, and um, trying to figure out what's the best unit for, you know, our homes, and um, we were relying on a lot of, european or you know overseas made products and we're seeing um um, local manufacturing which is great because we want to see you know the local economy thrive and and seeing innovation um you know within our communities um then we get to hot water and what systems are creating it you know used to be again gas hot water tanks and seeing again trend to electric hot water tanks and even heat pump electric hot water tanks so um You know, those are the two areas that you're seeing innovation right now. Um, The fact that uh, the air barriers, um, we've got materials we can get in from Europe really available. But same thing, too, is we're seeing innovation in our local markets. And so we have methodologies to create uh, that nicely gift-wrapped home locally. So again, lots of choices on how to get to high performance. Um, everyone needs to figure out what method they want to pr- uh, pursue. The method that we're looking f- at Clay is uh, you know, one that is low in body carbon, um, looking at our material choices and, uh, and trying to find ways to create uh, efficiencies so we can create an affordable solution so our clients um, ideally don't have to even pay the 2% upgrade um, because we're able to find the balance.
0: Another barrier I'm wondering, and this is something that I don't know if we can all fix, is the fact that if everybody goes electric, do we have the infrastructure for it? Especially in some of the older neighborhoods in Vancouver. I even know from my family building, we're having to go to the city and we're going to have to get a new transformer and they're having to upgrade the streets. So as more and more people come on, how do we solve that
2: issue? Yeah, no, that's it's a. Probably even a bigger question for me. I mean, my answer comes back from conversations I've had with BC Hydro and Hortus BC of how to kind of manage that. You know this is where if everyone switched to electrification right now with our leaky homes, yeah, the grid won't do it because the energy requirements for heating and cooling would overdo or, or, or exceed our you know our current systems. But by retrofitting our buildings, Um, And even just to take a step back is, you know, we're talking about passive homes or high performance for new homes. You're going to see a wave in the next three to five years on retrofits. Retrofits are going to be one of the key phrases we're going to be talking about because every building that in a sense is not a passive house or step five in Canada has to get reskinned, and it's unfortunate where we've already gone through the whole leaky condo industry, and we could have built all these nice, energy efficient buildings when we had to refix or re, you know, reclad. Um, you know, there's a lot of buildings that we're going to have to upgrade so that they're not going to need as much energy to heat and cool and to create hot water. So, as we um, evolve, change, innovate, um, we're going to be looking at how do we manage the you know the skins of these buildings as we're electrifying them so yeah it's not going to be an overnight thing Um, it's going to be a collective effort kind of you know from the masses to to get there because you're right the infrastructure needs to be improved um, the buildings need to be improved so we can reach our goals but again some people don't like living in Vancouver because it's it's trying to achieve um, to be the greenest city in North America I actually think it's fantastic You know and uh, it's the third best city in 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 the world and i'm privileged and lucky to live here and i just want to make it more beautiful and if i can offer a way and if i can teach people how to build better buildings you know that's what's going to keep me going because i know this community is is wanting it and we're seeing the the trends i mean the one thing that i've been lucky is is if i take a step back before passive house um, originally i wanted to build sustainable homes and then we got into some greenwashing and then i realized now in the last two years it's all about resiliency and that's where i changed from you know sustainable prefab passive homes to resilient prefab passive homes because resiliency is key and if we can build better buildings we can help manage the issues of um, arctic flows or atmospheric rivers or heat domes these other you know weather extreme weather um, events we've had recently so if we can Build better, then um, our systems will be less burdened upon, and that's where you know as a collective we need to work towards. That's a bit of a, a wide-winded.
1: Uh, no, answer. I think it's <laughs> great
0: because like there's some sort of things you touched upon and like and like I like I said I live in a 1912 building yeah. and the windows are terrible. Like yeah. I just moved in in August and I noticed like the other day when it's been really cold I was like, "Where's the wind coming from?" And I'm like, everything is sealed shut, and I was like. Yeah. Oh, no, it was like, it feels like I'm outside, and so, again, we're we're going to have to, but, like, that's a long rabbit hole, probably not go down, but, like, how do you change those buildings? Like, does yeah. even just changing the windows help improve it probably to a degree, but, like, you'd probably really have to, like, do a whole, like, well, reno of that yeah. building.
2: Well, again, this is what I love about, you know, the Passive House uh, movement, because they have a retrofit um, kind of methodology to how do you fix old buildings. Oh, I didn't know that. And so what's nice about it is is we have this device called the Red Door Truth. It's a blower door test. And so we put this, you know, machine in and we you know we figure out how building how leaky our buildings are and ideally you know we're never going to get to 100% even though a few of our builders have tried to get the record for the lowest uh, airtight building which is great but you know once you get below one or 0.6 you know it's good enough Mm -hmm. you know you've achieved the standard um, to get records is a bit of egotistical you know nonsense that I definitely wanted to get to but i enjoy the pursuit of of improving and at least you know figuring out where the the issues are and so on a new build you know air tightness is key on a retrofit because of the cost typically you know windows is where you start with because those are easy to improve uh and so the fact that you can you know um Model and even on a new build, you know, we always start. We always have this uh, methodology: is you know, you model your pathway to get there. We can do the same on a retrofit. So you do a blower test to see how leaky it is and identify where the leaks are, and then you're like going after the elephants. You're trying to take care of the biggest uh, issues and then working towards the you know, the small small items. Um, and you can do it all in once or you could do a retrofit over five or ten
1: years and just slowly pick away at it as you m- try to improve the building. And there's some cool new technology coming on board to help us as well. I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on with some other guests as well, but the bottom line is solar technology has really exceeded even where it was three to five years ago. And the ability to plug in like your electric vehicle as a charge yeah. or as a uh, as a storage solution is really coming to bear. So an older house, a like mine, there's two parts to it. The comfort element, which you talked about, the windows and the barrier, and the energy efficiency as well. So it's an extremely, extremely exciting time, not only to be a builder, or or a renovator but also to be a homeowner as well because we have this myriad of amazing choices that we never had before and we can choose not just to to throw to get by but to actually make improvements to our, our indoor air quality improvements to how we live in our home improvements to how our family stays comfortable during the colder and hotter months of the year and it's it's nothing short of a revolution which is really exciting to be a part of
2: yeah and that whole thing about change is you know there's some people i guess for me i mean i I guess I really enjoy change because I'm willing to be a, out there learning about passive house before people, you know, there's people, that, again, like you've kind of said is, yeah, they fear the, uh, the passive house movement because they don't understand what that comfort level is. And, and I was involved in the Icebox Challenge where, you know, we tried to, t- to show people, you know, the difference of a passive house versus a code built and, you know, ice melting and stuff. And, and for me, it's, it's how do we get more people into passive buildings And we're lucky because our municipality and our province has been looking at building, you know, bigger buildings, museums, schools, so that we're able to touch and feel it on a bigger scale than just these one-off single family homes. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think that we should have like an Airbnb, you know, house that we all could just go and experience because when you step into it and you close the door and you, it's quieter, and there's even like a difference in fresh air, you honestly see the difference as soon as you take that first step into it. And I would love for all of us, and this is why you know, I wanted to build one, and you know, I'm looking forward to one day you know, living in a passive house so I can really walk the talk. But I've been enough passive houses, and when you experience that difference of comfort, you're gonna be like, wow, this is why you know, we wanna do this. This is why um, you know, the passive house is so much better, is you just feel the difference. And, uh, and until you do, you don't know. And so it's like, why should I change? Cause I don't know that I need that.
0: I love how passionate you are and how much of a leader you are in the industry and you do something else to kind of like get people involved. Can you tell us a little bit about your, uh, is it like a seven-day forecast? Yeah. So a <laughs>
2: so, so uh, couple things that I'm involved in. So on uh, Sunday mornings, a friend of mine, Mark, who, again, I met through COVID. So I'm sure all of us have met a whole bunch of different people during COVID. But I call my COVID best friend because I've actually only, you know, seen him twice, uh, only in the last four months, um, where uh, we, uh, we kind of break down. It's called the five-day forecast. And, of course, there's a lot of... I was including seven, but that's okay. Yeah, no, maybe no, no, maybe no. there's a well, new one. We, we kind of <laughs> give the weekend off. But in the five-day forecast, there's a lot of Fs in there. And we replace all the Fs with a PH. And, of course, the PH stands for Passive House. And we do that because we want to get Passive House recognized and people to think about, like, okay, this guy's talking about Passive House you know, every week. And we've been doing it for 134 weeks, Um just trying to promote more high performance events. Um, one of the big events that we highlight is the Passivist Accelerator um, event where again, during COVID, we worried about our community not having to having a connection. And now with again, the, the, the opportunity with Zoom and, and meeting online, um, you know, we're regularly having 200 to 250 people from around North America, hopping online, um, sharing uh, Passivist projects Um, and techniques, technology, and and technical details of how Passive House can be achieved. And um, having that information out there, having, again, like that um, community sharing and and learning and collaborating together is just amazing. And the fact that it's not just um, here in Vancouver, that it's, um, you know, over the planet is is pretty cool to be involved in. So, um, you know, happy to, you know, even with Passive House Canada um, having events here um, one of the fun events that hopefully people put on their radars for uh, in July is we do uh, a road, sorry, a bike tour of what I call the unofficial Passive Street of Dreams here in Vancouver, along Ontario Street from City Hall all the way to 61st. There's about 14 different oh. passive houses that we love to uh, showcase, and so um, to get people on a bike, uh, and we, and over the years we've done it through the rain and the sun. I mean, Vancouverites are pretty uh, pretty amazing. at uh, When they want to learn, they will fight through the weather to, uh, to learn. And so, well,
1: Once someone's lived here for two years, they grow a bit of resiliency and they can get <laughs> yeah. along with everybody else. Uh, the five-day forecast is actually one of my favorite things. I get up every Sunday morning, I put on a record, I grab a <laughs> cup of coffee, and I start looking through my LinkedIn, and it's almost like I feed off of your energy. I'm like, how the heck does this guy do this on a Sunday morning? Obviously, he doesn't record it on a Sunday morning. That's the secret.
0: He says he took the weekend off. So well, you know
2: what? <laughs> (laughs) So you talk about efficiencies is, you know, we figured out how to take, you know, that process. And so we can pull off the five day forecast in about 20 minutes. Um, And again, talking about communities, now we've involved a couple other individuals. And so, you know, we're able to work our times together that we bring on an individual um, from New Brunswick, bring another gentleman from Calum. So the four of us will hop on quickly and record it. And then you're able to, you know, dump it out to the different feeds. And yeah, we do it on a Sunday, usually at 2 p.m. Pacific time.
1: We do quick and efficient. It's it's awesome. Now, um, the other thing is you and I work behind the scenes as well. We're both, uh, Jennifer as well, we're all very active in the Home Builders Association or Haven. We love this group. We love being a part of it. And you and I work together in the education and training committee, and that's a really important group because we're essentially evangelizing this thing that you're talking about to the greater community and helping the rest of our builders backfill their experience so they can play in this new space. Can you talk a little about some of the things we do together with the Home Builders Association and how that's helping your mandate as well? Yeah. So, the
2: biggest event that we do every month is the Builder Breakfast Series. And so, working with uh, Wendy and um, and Keith and Mike Cairns, um, really fortunate to have. A great committee that is working on um, bringing in, you know, excellent speakers to create great presentations to help the industry learn. Um, So that's a big one that we organize every month. Um, uh, And then, you know, it's kind of interesting because if I just take a step back, I mean, I'm really lucky because Larry Clay brought me involved on the technical committee. Um, which now we've turned into the technical advisory group um, where, again, these were leaders in the industry that used to get together and share and kind of nerd out. And, uh, and we realized it was like that wealth of knowledge, we need to get out to the community. And so by connecting with that, that eventually got me involved in the technical, sorry, the education technical committee and happy to be a chair of it um, because I really want people to get access to information and to get, Connected with leaders in industry that are talented in uh, in what they do and have a craft or passion about a certain aspect, um, and so being able to work with you, Mike, and the rest of the committee to you know find these individuals and uh, and get them on the calendar and get them booked and be able to uh, share their knowledge to uh, to our community and to the to Haven members. Um, again, very fortunate to be involved in that, and again, thanks for your efforts to to get us uh, bringing those, find those leaders.
1: Well, you're the one leading it, so, uh, and that's one thing people don't really understand. When they're dealing with a Haven member, they're not just dealing with our membership and the stickers we put on our trucks. They're also having the benefit of all these experience, all these other committees and all the other things we do to make sure that our members are the best equipped in the entire industry. Well, Sean, thank you so, so much for taking time today to share your building knowledge. It's extremely obvious to everybody who's spoken to you at any point ever that you're very passionate about Passive House for the health, the comfort, and for everyone who's occupying the home not to mention for our environment um, now I could probably spend about a half hour and succinctly summarize all the points we talked about today but at a very 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 exceptionally high level we talked about the cost of building the passive house levels and by cost we talked about you know the line items and how to establish the budget and the part that was most exciting to me was it's actually not that much more expensive to build a passive house and the energy savings the amortization over a long period of time actually makes it less expensive and can you even put a price on the cost of the health and safety and comfort in our own environment? We also talked about the importance of challenging the process because we're still learning. And a lot of the great things that happen in this world are a result of people challenging preconceived notions, taking into consideration consumer choice and the impacts this has on building materials and the end product, and that we're still faced with barriers such as legislation and supply chain issues. But the future of this movement, the future of this style of building houses is very bright, very exciting, and we're moving in a great direction.
0: Yeah, I'm Sean, I'm just so excited again to meet you because I hear so much about you through Haven, all good things, of course. And I finally got to meet you in the last little bit at a few different things now that we're back to in person. But uh, before we go, can you tell us one more final tip,
2: please? If you're building, please consider airtightness as key to your methodology. Airtightness will allow uh, the clients to get to not only higher levels of comfort and health, but also from the budgeting standpoint is streamlining your mechanical systems. So builders, focus on building better built buildings through your tightness. Um, get or purchase your blower door, your red door of truth, so you can measure your tightness and work on uh, improving your scores. And, uh, and by 2032, we'll all be building near houses. It's pretty exciting times.
1: Well, thank you very much, Sean. It has been an absolutely great conversation. To our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, please follow, like, share with your family and friends. The more followers we have, the more people will find our podcast and the excellent resources our guests like Sean are sharing.
0: And for notes and links and everything mentioned on today's episode, including resources shared by Sean St. Moore from Clay Construction. All you have to do is go to haven.ca slash measure twice, cut once. That's a wrap for season five. And thank you for Sean for uh, joining us. And we'll be back in September with season six featuring 2023 Haven Awards for housing excellence winners showcasing Metro Vancouver's best new home building design and home renovation projects. Be sure to tune in as we check out the latest trends and connect with award winning industry leading professionals, a great resource if you're looking to build or renovate your own home. And don't forget if you've just joined us a season, be sure to check out our seasons before one to four as we explored the home building process, housing choices. Healthy homes and the burdens real time reno. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Yes, thank you for joining us.